When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, baby! Hey everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. Today's guest is a mystic and New York Times best-selling author who has built one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the world. Name one of the 50 most influential people in all of India. Not bad, considering the country has 1.3 billion people. He has been invited to speak at some of the most prestigious international conferences on the planet, including the World Peace Summit, the United Nations, and the World Economic Forum. His mission is to raise every human being to the peak of their potential, and to that aim, he established the Isha Foundation, which, with headquarters in both India and the U.S., has implemented several large-scale human service projects designed to uplift rural areas, help with education reform and environmental stewardship, as well as holistic and healthy living. He's also written several profoundly transformational books, including Inner Engineering, A Yogi's Guide to Joy, and Adi Yogi, The Source of Yoga. So please, help me in welcoming the contemporary spiritual leader with millions of global followers, the man who has cracked irreverent jokes everywhere from MIT to Google on things both mystical and highly practical, the uncompromising Sud Guru. Hey. Come after. How you doing? <laughs> Welcome. I am beyond excited to have you on the show. Um, Going and looking at your what you're trying to accomplish in the world um, is very much in line with what we're trying to do in terms of human potential, mm -hmm. which I think is super exciting. But we definitely we go about it in very different ways. And reading your book, I was really impacted. And so getting to dive deeper into this, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think the first place to start, walk me through what you mean by potential. Like what what do you think is human potential. See every creature, from a worm, insect, bird, plant, tree, everybody. All of them are trying to be full-fledged lives. If one sees what's happening beneath the earth in terms of the root systems, it is an enormous effort for a plant or a tree to become a, a full-fledged tree. Mm. Well, an apple tree is not trying to be an oak tree, but an apple tree wants to be a full-fledged apple tree. That effort is on in every life. So is it in human beings. But the problem with humanity is just this, that for every other creature, nature has drawn two lines. Within these two lines, they live and die. 
So their idea of full-fledged is hitting the ceiling of their life. But if a human being hits a ceiling, he gets frustrated and miserable <laughs> because nature, this process of evolution has delivered to us to a place where there is only the bottom line, there is no top line, though some human beings are trying to breach the bottom line and go below. <laughs> that effort also is going on. <laughs> so essentially, what human life is, is when life was in the other forms of life that you see on the planet, nature determined a certain compulsive, instinctive ways of functioning. Once you become human, these lines have been removed. You can act consciously. That means what you call as human potential is not of any kind of measurable limit. It can go as far as you desire or as, as far as you have the courage to walk. So when we say human potential, unleashing human potential, it is not about reaching the peak, it is a trajectory. Because what our life is, is a combination of a certain amount of time and energy. Time is rolling away for all of us at the same pace. If you sit, it rolls away, if you sleep, it rolls away, if you do something, it goes away, if you don't do anything, it goes away. You're happy or miserable, it goes away. Time is running out for all of us. So it's only the energy that you can do different things with. If you bring your energies to a certain level of intensity and possibility, what somebody does in ten years, you may do it in one year. This means if you live here, for hundred years, it feels like in people's impact that you have created, it feels like you lived here for a thousand years, simply because you have managed your life energies in a certain way. So for me, a human being being impactful means, how conscious have you become? This is very important. Because if you're in compulsive cycles, then your energy gets wasted in so many things. If you observe people, in a day, let's say, let's take twenty-four hours, in that anyway most people by prescription in America, they sleep for eight hours <laughs> So eight hours means one-third of life is gone. In the remaining two-thirds, they have to eat, they have to, you know, shower, bathroom, this, that, all this, another two, three hours gone. So literally fifty percent of life is gone, daily basis, just for basic maintenance of this life. Fifty percent of the time is gone in maintenance, remaining fifty percent what they have. If you look at every single move that they may make with their body, their thought process, their emotions, you will see a whole lot of it is happening in compulsive cycles. Or in other words, if you are little sensitive to life, you will realize you are the biggest issue in your life. So this is one thing that I'm trying to do with people, that you are never the issue in your life. I'm not the issue. My thought, my emotion, my body is never the issue. My thought, my emotion, my energy and my body are my instruments of function. They are not impediments in my life. But I would say for ninety percent of the human beings, their own body, then the compulsions of the body, the compulsions of their thought, the compulsions of their emotions, are ruling them most of the time. So when you yourself are a problem, well, you're on self-help 
So how do you begin to break out of that? Like if we're all stuck in these compulsive patterns, um, how do you gain the consciousness that you're talking about and begin to, I don't know if the words go beyond, elevate, like how do you stop being in that endless cycle? Everybody wants a solution, but nobody wants to delve into the problem and see what is the nature of the problem that we have. <laughs> the nature of the problem is like this. Why are we compulsive? What is it that's compulsive about us? Compulsion means we are going to the same place again and again. That means we are going in circles. The nature of physical existence in the universe is such, whether you take an atom, an individual atom or the cosmic space, everything that's physical is always in cyclical movement. The atoms are doing their circles, the solar system is doing its stuff, the galaxies are doing their stuff, our own bodies are going through cycles. In fact, we are born because of the cycles in our mother's bodies, that's why we are born. So, entire physical nature is born out of cyclical movement, that means compulsiveness. So, do not misunderstand compulsiveness as something bad, it's the basis of your existence. It is a good platform, but you're supposed to stand on the platform and act. Right now, you have become the platform, so somebody else will dance on you. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> That's... Um, so my thing, and part of what drives me is getting... Um, getting efficient at achieving your goal, which I'm sure uh, is less what is than thrilling goal? for you. So for me, um, I... I am interested in actually executing on my potential. So transferring my ability to do something into the actual thing. So the easy example I give people is if what you... Does, what does impact mean for you? Leaving a footprint? Um, not quite. So I have a very specific kind of impact that I'm trying to have, which is to help people actuate their potential. So I think that a lot of people, um, they are capable of extraordinary things. And I think that to your point about joy, I think one of the things that's absolutely foundational to joy is growth. And so getting people on a path where they well, believe they can grow. Why do you say it that way? That's why is just... growth foundational to joy? Joy is foundational to growth, isn't it? Um, probably, yes. But I don't have an insight as to what came first, um, which is no, exactly no. why you're here. No, no. There is substantial medical and scientific evidence to show that uh, only when you're in a pleasant state of experience, your body and your brain works at its best. There's no argument about that, there's enough evidence to show that. So whatever impact or success or reaching goals or growth or whatever you say, on one level in the physical world, it's about how well you harness your physiological and your psychological process, isn't it? Whether your body and mind works against you or works for you, this is a big difference. Mm. So there is enough evidence to show only when you're in pleasant levels of experience, this happens best. So obviously, joy is first, then growth. If you're joyful constantly and you have no fear of suffering because you understand all human experience comes from within you and so you have managed to create the kind of experience that you want, now growth is possible and riddled. If you have the fear of falling down and suffering, you will not go very high, isn't it? So how do you work through that? How do you help people on that path? Many ways to look at it. One of the simplest ways to see it is, all human experience has a chemical basis to it. Right now, let us say you're joyful. 
if you look at your chemistry, it'll be in a certain way. Let's say you're miserable, if you check your chemistry, it'll be in a completely different way. Now we have a technology that with which you create a chemistry of blissfulness. So my chemistry is blissful, doesn't matter what's happening. The drama around me is happening in so many different ways, but this is a privilege that I've kept for myself. Me being joyful or miserable, me being peaceful or disturbed, these privileges I have not given it to anybody else, I kept them to myself. I think every human being should do that, <laughs> that the privileges of the nature of your experience must be in your hand. Because when you try to act in the world, there are many, many forces. All of them will not always cooperate. Sometimes they cooperate, many times. They will not cooperate, many times they'll turn against you. This is the nature of the world, that's how it should be. Mm. World will never happen hundred percent your way, and I'm glad it is so, because if it all happened your way, where do I go <laughs> I'm glad it's not happening your way, little bit my way, little bit your way, little bit somebody else's way, that's how the world should be. That's very interesting. Is there a way to avoid falling into those traps? Like, I know that you've taken some um, very different approaches, at least from an American set of eyes, um, to raising your daughter and not wanting her, not wanting to put a lot of teachings on her. Um, is that to avoid dogma? Is it to avoid closing doors because you think you know something? Like, how, how do we, if we were going to have kids and raise them in a way that stopped them from falling into some of these traps, what would we do? How many parents would dare and encourage their children not to be identified with parents, not to be identified with the religion that they follow, not to be identified with their racial and national and other prejudices that they hold. They all think these things are sacred, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yes. These are the things which destroy human potential. Whether you want to turn a human being... See, I see this uh, term and it, it, it really hurts me <laughs> when people say, it's very common, only in America I hear this, I was raised as uh, whatever, Catholic or Baptist mm. or uh, Christian or Muslim or whatever else, I was raised. See, you must raise only cattle and sheep. You don't raise human beings. You have to cultivate a human being. You have to give space and give support of love and support so that a human being grows because every human being is capable of a unique possibility. Mm. Raising means what a flock is what you raise. You don't raise an individual, isn't it? That's very interesting. So, for this, we need to come to a certain level of maturity within ourselves. The most fundamental thing is, our children need not look like us, need not think like us, need not act like us, need not be us in any way. A child is not a legacy. It's a life mm. and it's an individual life. It has to be what it has to be. Well, if I do not influence, right now the fear is if I do not influence, somebody on the street will influence the child. On the social media, they'll influence the child. So to, to cultivate a child 
so that they know that the intrinsic intelligence and being human is more important than being influenced by this or that, it doesn't matter what it is. Whether it's parentage or it's a priest or it's a guru or it's a pandit, it doesn't matter who, influence is not important. What is important is the intrinsic intelligence finding its full potential. And do you think as we grow up in a modern context that um, we can avoid adopting those beliefs? You talked one time, I thought this was so interesting, about how every time you get a belief, it's like a conclusion and every conclusion is a death unto itself and it's like shutting a door on something. Yes, it... otherwise, see, you just see, you look at your own picture when you're five years of age, it's like this. Slowly it's becoming like this. What is it? You're dying in installments. The more conclusions you make, the less alive you become. This is all that's happened to people. They call this knowledge. This is not knowledge. This is just conclusions that you're drawing about everything. See, with all this scientific exploration, the fact is that even today, we do not know one single atom in its entirety. We know how to use them. We know how to use everything on this planet, but we don't know a damn thing about anything. Over ninety percent or ninety-nine percent of an atom is empty. We don't know what that emptiness contains. Over ninety-nine percent of the cosmos is empty. We don't know what that is. So, this is like I give you a million-piece jigsaw, but you found in your hands, you have only three of them. With these three, you make a picture and you're euphoric that you made a picture. Well, I'm sorry, there are a million pieces to this. Has anybody gathered all the pieces? No. Then don't make a picture. You've talked about the only way to really um, make change is to turn inward. As we look inward, turn inward, go inward, um, what are we... Are we working on awareness, consciousness? Like what is the... See, right now, what are the instruments of your experience? You know you're here only because you can see, hear, smell, taste and touch. This is the only way you know that you're here right now. Suppose you doze off, don't, okay? Suppose you doze off, you don't know that you're here, isn't it? Yes. Even though you're here, your heart is beating, everything is functioning, the world is on, we are all here, but you won't know that you are here, mm. nor will you know that I'm here or anybody else is here, isn't it? Yes. All that's happened is, life is on, full on, even within you. Only thing is, these five sensory organs have shut down. So your entire experience of life right now is happening because you can see, hear, smell, taste and touch. Just look at the nature of the sensory organs. In the very nature, they're outward bound, isn't it? Mm. Can you roll your eyeballs inward and scan yourself? No. There is a... Shall I give you a bad example? Sure. Your... our nose is located right above our mouth. Suppose you don't brush your teeth for three days. Mm. Though this nose is right here, it won't tell you you have not brushed your teeth. Mm. The whole room will know you have not brushed your teeth, but you will not know. This is the human predicament. 
It's very easy to see what's wrong with this guy, what's wrong with her, what's wrong with her. It's very… it takes a lot of observation to see what's wrong with this. Mm. That level of keenness of observation is missing in most people. They need to cultivate that. Mm. And so, it's tempting to… Um, when reading your book and hearing your story, it's tempting to say, oh, this is how he cultivated that, whether it's sitting in the tree that was swaying and then doing swaying meditation. Um, is that actually how you cultivated it or is there something else? Because somebody watching right now, they, they want to be able to begin to access this. And if it's a simple letting go of belief and dogma or if it's awareness of the letting self… Letting go of belief and dogma is not simple. Mm. <laughs> it's not simple. People are who they are only because of what they believe and what they have held like that. Mm. Because without this, they don't know where they belong. To live here without belonging to anything, but still involved with everything, takes a lot. Mm. Most people belong, but they're not involved. It is like belonging is like an insurance policy. It's simply there. Involvement takes you. To be constantly involved with people around you, it takes you to be conscious and on. Mm. But I belong to you. I don't have to do anything, I've, I've professed already I belong to you. I'm married to you. I belong to you. Legally it is settled. So I don't have to be conscious of you, nor do I have to be involved with you, still I belong to you. So belonging means belonging, believing or uh, identifying simply means you have found a way to sleep through your life. It's called sleep. Mm. When we say, you know, people usually use this term with uh, animals, if you said, we put our cat to sleep, what does it mean to you? For real, that they killed their cat? Yes. So, I'm talking about sleep in that context. Mm. I believe this, I belong to this, I'm identified with this means, it's sleep. That means you're partially dead. Mm. You made conclusions which takes away the life that bubbles within you. This is why people are walking around like uh, they're dying in installments. Mm. Yeah, so the notion of not knowing, the notion of responsibility are two things that are... are really powerful. Can I, can I just correct that Please. question? Yeah, yeah. Not knowing is not a notion, it's a fact. Okay. It's not a notion, you really do not know a damn thing about this existence, isn't it? Yes. We don't even know a blade of grass in its entirety. We do not know a single atom in its entirety. We do not know a single cell in this body in its complete context. We do not. We know some things, we can manipulate a few things but we don't know much about it. <laughs> so, it's like this. Let's say we turn off all the lights. If the lights are on, you can whistle and just walk around wherever you want in this building. We'll turn off all the lights and make it pitch dark where you can't even see your own hand, like that. Now, every step that you take, will you take it in utmost alertness? Will you be fully awake or asleep? Fully awake. Fully awake. Why? Because you don't know where's the next step. Mm. Just to live like this. If you simply live like this, 
naturally you are on the highway to enlightenment. Mm. Everybody assume and believe because it's comfortable to simply believe something. Mm. The very word belief means this, that I have concrete, concretized assumptions of which I know nothing about, isn't it? Mm. Isn't it so? Yeah. Either you know or you do not know. Where does the belief come from? When you pretend what you do not know as I know, that's belief. But you can't believe something all by yourself. So you need a hundred people around you. That's why always believers are in groups, mm. seekers are alone. Talk to me about a seeker. What, what is a seeker? Is that something useful to cultivate? You don't have to cultivate this. This is intrinsic to human intelligence. If you do not bullshit yourself with all kinds of things that you do not know as you know, it's intrinsic to human intelligence to seek, isn't it? Mm, yes. You don't have to teach seeking. You have to teach belief systems. You don't have to teach seeking. If you don't teach anything, everybody is a seeker. Mm. It is the nature of human intelligence, it naturally seeks. But people want to seek with the comfort of belief. They want to be in the belief system and then seek. This is like tying your boat to the pier and then <laughs> rowing hard. It's good, it's not bad because it gives you good exercise. It's like being on the treadmill. Most people are on the treadmill because they are not walking or running to go somewhere. They're just trying to tone their muscles, mm -hmm. it's perfectly fine. So if that's all you wish to do, it's fine. But if you want to go somewhere, you can't tie your boat and then row, isn't it? If you just let it go, even if you don't row, it will go. Mm. What do you tell people about responsibility? It's just your ability to respond. You have to make up your mind. Do you want to retain your ability to respond to every situation that may arise or may not arise in your life? Or do you want to surrender your ability to respond? This is something everybody should make up their mind on. Do you have practices to keep yourself so open and so joyful? Life. That's it. <laughs> what else? Life is an openness. Death is closing, isn't it? Mm. Death is a closure. Life is a possibility. If you're just alive, everything is open. Tell me, can you be alive? Suppose you don't like me. So you don't want to inhale what I exhale. Stop breathing and exist for some time, let me see. Possible? Yes. Without breathing? For a little while. How is little… how much is little for you? To hold my breath? Yeah. I don't know, thirty seconds? Ten seconds? Ten minutes? Definitely not ten minutes. So I'm saying, if you don't like me, your dislike will not go away in thirty seconds, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Suppose I hate you. I don't want to breathe, inhale what you exhale. Mm. I will die within myself, isn't it? Yes. This all people are doing to themselves. I like this guy, I don't like that guy, this is uh, somebody I love, that's somebody I hate, this is belongs to me, this doesn't belong to me. They're just killing themselves step by step. They are planning to die in installments. Mm. If you want to live, here you are. Mm. You must make up your mind whether you want to live or you want to die. You want to know the certainty of death in life. This is called belief, 
this is called belonging, this is called identification, because you are trying to find the certainty of death in the seamless process of life. That's very interesting. When you, I mean, you spend a lot of time speaking, what do you hope people take away? Is there one core thing that you really want people to be touched by? Fundamentally, if people understand that the source of human experience is within you, joy or misery, agony or ecstasy, pleasure or pain, everything comes from within you. If you understand this much, if I understand, suppose right now I think I'm miserable because of you, mm. there's no solution for my life, isn't it? Because all you have to do is walk in front of my home, I will become miserable. <laughs> so simple it is. You don't have to kill me, you just have to walk around in front of me. I will die within myself every day. If I understand the source of my joy and misery are within me, then you know what's the obvious choice? Joy. It's the obvious choice, isn't it? Mm. So this one fundamental thing has to get across to all the human beings on this planet. Your experience is entirely determined by you. This is what the word karma means, unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's become something else here. Karma means action. That means when we say your life is your karma, we are saying your life is entirely your making, hundred percent. What happens in the world, there are many, many forces involved. What happens within me, it's one hundred percent me, hundred percent, isn't it? Yes. If you don't take charge of this, then you're an accidental life. When you're an accidental life, anxiety is very natural. Natural, isn't it? Mm. Suppose you're driving accidentally, that is, you don't know what's happening, and you're simply somehow going, anxiety is natural or no? Yes. Any accidental moment creates anxiety. So this is why consciousness means this, that you have taken charge of the instruments of life, which on most fundamental level is our physiological and psychological space. You have taken charge of this. Mm. Now your health, your happiness, your joy, your ecstasy, your misery, everything is in your hands. You exercise them as you want. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to what you said about focus, in your book you talk about something I thought was so interesting, to set the faucet to a certain drip rate and do nothing but focus on the dripping of the faucet for like seven minutes or something. What's the idea the... is to pay attention to something which has no relevance to you. See, people are... have divided the universe. This is important, this is not important. This person is important for me, this person is not important for me. This is important for me, that's not important for me. You divided the universe. Mm -hmm. You will never know anything this way. Indiscriminate focus, indiscriminate attention, I am not attending to you because you are somebody with a cobra in your heart, all right? It doesn't matter who I speak to, who I am with, I am the same way, indiscriminate. Only when your attention and involvement is indiscriminate does the universe open up to you. Mm. You have discriminated, naturally you close. You know, people come to me and say, Sadhguru, I want to walk the spiritual path. I say, okay, be here for three days. Let's see what we can do. So, no Sadhguru, day after tomorrow, my uncle's daughter's birthday, I have to go. Oh, you want to get enlightened? 
and day after tomorrow, uncle's daughter's birthday also, all right. We got one and a half days. You do one thing, you do this, this and this. I said, Sadhguru, but I don't like this. All right, I'll give them a small piece of paper and say, okay, write down things that you like, we'll do only do, do that. You be, won't believe it, in this entire universe, most people like only three or four things. Wow. When <laughs> you're so constipated in your head that you like only three or four people or three or four things in your life, how do you want to open up to the existence? Mm. Because life is happening because of its openness. This is the fundamental difference between death and life is, people are thinking it's just breath, all right, on one level. That is also openness, whether you allow this to happen or you don't allow it to happen. Whether you did it consciously or unconsciously, but it's happening, isn't it? Openness is on every subatomic particle, is in communication with everything. That's why this is going on. Breath is happening, so much is happening in connection with everything. It is only in openness you're alive. As you close doors, you're dying in installments. Dying in installments is torture. See, life is fantastic if you're alive and fully alive. If you're dead, it's good, at least the neighbors may think so. This may sound very not so compassionate, but I'm saying everybody dies, you and me will die, all right? If you're dead, it's the game is over. But if you're half dead, oh, this is endless torture to yourself. When you are being tortured, of course, you'll share it with everybody else. Talk to me about your motorcycle accident and having to have your calf sewed back together, which is without anesthesia. <laughs> How is that possible? I'm not that young anymore. <laughs> Today I would take anesthesia. <laughs> Those were wild days. But the notion of the difference between pain and suffering I thought was very useful. See, pain is physiological, it's there. If there's no pain, most people would not even know how to protect themselves. Mm. See, just because there's no pain in this, see what all you have done to it, isn't it? Mm. See, there's no pain in this. So that's why you took it off. If there's no pain in your nose, maybe you would have taken it off. Right. Because there are many advantages, you will take in about twenty-two percent extra oxygen if you just remove this one thing, contraption. <laughs> Wherever there is no pain, people are messing with it like crazy, isn't it? They call this hairstyle, they call it so many things. Yeah. Suppose there was no pain in the entire body in Los Angeles, people would pull out their stomach bag and <laughs> you think they wouldn't do it? No, I think they probably would. Only pain is helping them to preserve themselves, isn't it? Mm. So pain is good. There's no physiological pain. Most people would not know. I hear in United States there's one group, they call themselves something, I forget that word. They're actually cutting their fingers off, their hands off mm. on the video. Whoa. They're posting it online. There's a group like that. Whoa. Can you imagine this? No. In spite of so much pain, if there was no pain, Almost everybody would have cut themselves off in, in the name of fashion, they would have cut themselves into ribbons. Wow. So pain is a good thing physically because that is your preservation, self-preservation mechanism. Mm. But suffering is something that you do in your mind. 
So pain that happens in your body, you take it in your mind and multiply it a thousand times or a million times depending on how capable you are <laughs> or how stupid you are and suffer it a million times over. Right now, most human beings are like this, what happened ten years ago, they can still suffer. What may happen day after tomorrow, they already suffer. They are not suffering life, they think they are suffering life, they are not suffering life. They are suffering the two most fantastic faculties that human beings alone have, a vivid sense of memory and a fantastic sense of imagination. Why do you think that depression and um, anxiety, suicide are, are so rampant right now? See, one thing is, the survival process has become easier than ever before. Believe me, in the morning if you need a bucket full of water, if you had to walk a mile to the river to get one bucket of water, and your family needed twenty-five buckets of water, mm. you would have no time to mess yourself. <laughs> now you have a lot of time to mess yourself because our survival is better organized than ever before. Another thing is, most human beings do not know how to manage their biochemistry without physical activity. Mm. I have seen a whole lot of people, particularly teenage boys and girls between the ages of twelve and sixteen, who come to me with some severe violent problems within themselves. If you leave them like that, they may kill themselves or kill somebody else, they're in that kind of state. Many of them have even killed their parents, you know, it has happened all over the world. And uh, in 2017, when I came to know that in India, <laughs> which is not so much suicidal in that sense because there's a huge family support and stuff like that, in spite of that, in 2017, 18,600 children below 18 years of age committed suicide, out of which 7,200 are below 15 years of age. So 12, 13, 14 year olds who must be bubbling with life, wanting to take their own lives. Why? Obviously, we're doing something fundamentally wrong with the society, isn't it? Yes. Our goals and our stupid ideas of what is success is driving them nuts. Mm. Because we are trying to use our children like racehorses. That's interesting. <laughs> and when you say that, is something to that represent us that we've turned into something amazing or in what way are they like racehorses? See, when you understand life as a race, if you're in a race, what's the objective? You must reach the finish line quick, isn't mm. it? Yes. What is the finish line of your life? Death. There you have it. This may not be a conscious process, but life within you is understanding it like that. When you… see, you must understand this, whether you are conscious of, conscious of it or not, any human being. Right now, if you make yourself miserable, you must understand you are sending a message to every cell in the body that I don't want to live. You might not have articulated it in your head yet, but when you become miserable, you notice suddenly your body seems heavy and it's like, doesn't want to get up from this chair. Have you seen this? Yes. When you're happy, you're willing to bounce at everything and do everything, bend backwards if necessary. Why this is happening is the message has gone to every cell in the body, this guy wants to die. They're all thinking, okay, what can we do to help him? Mm. But by then, of course, you recover. 
So you want to die, you want to live, you want to die, you want to live. The body is getting confused because you must understand this is a very intelligent body. It's taking instructions from you. Every cell in the body has enormous sense of memory and intelligence. If you keep sending wrong messages, if they act, you're dead. Because you're sending contradictory messages, you're not dead, you're half dead. You can give it any number of exotic names. Essentially, you have turned your intelligence against yourself. This is supposed to work for you, but now you've turned it against yourself, it's working against you. Yeah, I know I'm putting words in your mouth, which is very dangerous, but the whole notion of being half dead, <laughs> I feel like you really address how to live fully in your book, um, Inner Engineering, which I, uh, I was just really, really impacted by. If you had to um, define what inner engineering is exactly, how would you say it? See, do you agree with me that our lives today as a generation of people has become far more comfortable and far more convenient simply because of our understanding of science and our exploitation of that knowledge as technology. Yes, hmm? definitely. We are the most comfortable generation ever in the history of humanity, no question about it, isn't it? Yes. We are super empowered because of this science and technology. As there is a science and technology, for our external well-being, there is a whole science and technology for inner well-being. Unfortunately, most cultures have ignored this and thinking that if we make all the external arrangements well, everything will be okay. United States of America is a huge statement that this is not how it works. Well said. The most affluent country on the planet, seventy percent of the population are supposed to be on prescription medication. Yeah. Wow. What's the best way for people to interact with you? They don't have to interact with me because... To learn from you, maybe. Because we can talk, if inspiration is what you need, encouragement was what you need, I'm willing to talk. But talks will not bring solutions they will bring some clarity. Solution will come only when you take a proper inward step. That's what in engineering process is. We are doing everything possible to deliver it in as simple and as practical measures as it can be done. Mm -hmm. There was a time it was thought in such a complex way. Today we have simplified it, broken into five different pieces, offering it as five layers of program mm -hmm. so that people can experience it in small doses and slowly, step by step, they can go. I'm seeing as you come into more and more affluent societies, their steps are far more baby steps than other people. <laughs> That's interesting. So, we've broken it into many steps so that small steps you can take one by one. Mm. And your website is the best place for that? Yes. Okay. It's a good place to go. Perfect. Isha.sadguru.org, that's what it's called. Okay, and we'll link to that it's as well. Our organization is a hundred percent volunteer organization. So we are not professional in our approach and I'm very proud of that because I'm not interested in how much somebody is doing. I'm very interested in how they're doing it because that's what changes the quality mm -hmm. of who we are. 
because the content of our life will not change our life. It is the context of our life which changes our life. That's interesting, very interesting. Because your content you have changed and you see people are not happy. Mm. Content of our life is phenomenally enhanced compared to how our grandparents lived here, isn't it? Even in this country. Yes, definitely. How can people change their context? That's what inner engineering is about. Mm. If your context shifts from your psychological and physiological process to the life process that you are, everything has changed. Because we must understand this. As we sit here, this is my body, that's your body. This is my mind, that's your mind. But there's no such thing as this is my life and that's your life. Mm. It's, this is a living cosmos. Everybody is free to capture as much as they want. If you capture substantial amount of life, your very presence will become a significant life. Otherwise, you will become a mediocre life. This is the important thing. It's not the knowledge you gather in your head. It's not the muscle that you gather in your body. It's the life. How much of a life are you? This will make you significant in your very presence. If world gives us an opportunity, we'll do something impactful. Otherwise, we're just a significant presence. A huge oak tree standing outside, it is not trying to create any impact. It is just impactful. If you go under its shade, you'll feel it. Otherwise also it's impactful. Most people notice it only when it's gone. Mm. <laughs> what is the impact that you want to have on the world? When I was uh, twenty-five years of age, when suddenly things burst forth within me, and I realized if I sit here without messing myself, naturally I'm bursting with ecstasy and every cell in my body drips ecstasy. I thought initially I'm going off my rocker. Then again and again when I saw over a period of six to eight weeks, when I saw if I just close my eyes, I just burst into ecstatic states. So I clearly realized if I don't mess with my physiological and psychological process, ecstasy is the only way to be. Mm. Nothing to be done, you don't have to do anything. When I realized this, I sat down and actually planned. On that day, the world's population was 5.6 billion people. I made a plan in two and a half years' time that I will make the world ecstatic. <laughs> uh -huh. No fool like a young fool, you know <laughs> Now, uh, it's been thirty-seven years, not two and a half years. Well, people say we have touched over five hundred million people or so. Whoa. Don't say, whoa, you don't whoa my failures <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Because my idea of humanity is seven point six billion people. Five hundred million people, time going away, mm. I'm… I'm condemned to die a failure, but I'm a blissful failure, all right? So, what we need is just this. Do you want to live in a beautiful world means what? Beautiful does not mean just a beautiful view of the ocean or something else. Beautiful means human life here is pleasant within every human being. The question is not about what I wear, what I drive, where I live, but how I am within myself. 
See, what we can do in the world is a question of times, in which time of history we exist, accordingly we do things. Mm. If we were here hundred years ago, we wouldn't be recording all this stuff, all right? Mm. We would be doing something different. But human experience is constant. Whichever generation you are, you can either be blissed out or misery. Always, forever, it, it has been so and it will be so. So, what we can do in the world is subject to many realities of the times. But how we can be within ourselves is always a possibility. So what is always a possibility must be manifested. Whether you will run faster than Mr. Bolt or not, whether you will climb Mount Everest or not, this is not the point. Those things are subject to individual tastes and individual likes and dislikes. But will your experience of life on this planet be pleasant or not? At least this one thing we must determine, that every human being's experience of life on this planet is pleasant. That much we must do and it's doable. That is incredible. Sadhguru, thank you mm -hmm. so much for being on the show. That was absolutely incredible. Thank you for your time. Guys, I can't recommend his book highly enough. Check it out, Inner Engineering, it's phenomenal. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Thank you again so much. Wow, that was really amazing.